there's just too much AI news. But you guys all have China Talk to cover it for you. Uh, to discuss the London Safety Summit as well as the OpenAI Dev Day, we have on Zvi Moshewitz of the Don't Worry About the Vaz Substack, as well as Nathan LeBenz, host of the Cognitive Evolution. Revolution. Uh, oh, my <laughs> I God. Kinda, I don't mind. Um, you know, I could, depending on uh, whether we're ready to grant the status of new life form to the AI. Could be a better name. Yeah, it's uh, not necessarily bad. Okay. Uh, welcome to China Talk, you two. Uh, Zvi, kick us off. How did the UK Safety Summit even come to being in the first place? So, Prime Minister Sunak uh, is a businessman. He uh, is very much uh, at the forefront of, you know, knowing about things like technology. He's not like other leaders in these ways, many others. And he uh, is very concerned about artificial intelligence and what might happen. So, uh, he... Has you know he he assembled uh, Ian Horgaff's uh, Foundation Model Task Force to help the UK uh, navigate these and the rest of the world navigate these issues, and he's brought together the whole world uh, in the summit. He sees this as an opportunity uh, for the UK to assert uh, leadership and to define its place in the future economy, and also you know wants to make sure the world uh, handles these things responsibly. Uh, so what happened when all these like world meters met to like talk about AI risk? Yeah, that, that's the key question, right? So it's very hard to tell where we are on the the spectrum from this is all talk to this will change the world, and to a large extent, only time will tell. But concretely, from from the outside, uh, several things happened at the summit. Uh, first of all, there was the Bletchley uh, Declaration, where everybody signed a joint statement basically saying we are all very concerned about artificial intelligence. Uh, we think it has great promise for the future, but also brings great danger, as everyone keeps saying. It also explicitly affirms existential risk. Uh, there is also even a statement that is like, not only thought, this is signed by everybody who was there, including China. Uh, there was another joint statement about existential risk and other dangers that was, again, signed by several of the most prominent Chinese researchers and people in China, including a translation in Chinese that I verified says more or less the same thing in the Chinese version. Um, in general, everyone like went to seminars and meetings and uh, discussion groups and made various positive statements about how everyone's going to work together. Uh, concretely, they're going to meet in two more summits, one in France and one uh, immediately in South Korea. And they're going to continue these discussions. They're going to try and make more progress. Uh, but obviously they didn't like, agree on extensive regulations or anything like that. Uh, concretely, the UK is establishing uh, a new organization to, to help organize these, these, these safety related things. Uh, the United States uh, issued the executive order at the same time, uh, which was part, you know, could, could be considered, you know, a part of this broader effort to get a joint movement on these issues. Uh, and uh, most concretely, uh, the major labs were all asked for a wide variety of uh, policies and asked, how are you going to make sure that as you scale your AIs, you are proceeding safely? And all of the major labs, uh, OpenAI, DeepMind, Anthropic, but also Microsoft, Meta, Inflection, and Amazon, uh, gave responses of varying quality to those questions. Uh, Anthropics was in many ways uh, very good as a first step, 
towards a very responsible policy that might turn into a form of regulation. Uh, open AIs was not as good, but had some promising things and others were less good. Yeah. Zvi, would you like to sort of like do a little reading from the sort of universal declaration of principles that we got out of this? What were the what were the pieces of that that you thought most uh, that you thought were most interesting? Yeah. So it starts okay. off, you know, artificial intelligence presents enormous global opportunities that have potential to transform and enhance human well-being, peace and prosperity. To realize this, we affirm that for the good of all, AI should be designed, developed, deployed, and used in a manner that is safe, in a way that is to be human-centric, trustworthy, and responsible. We welcome the international community's efforts so far to cooperate on AI, to promote inclusive economic growth, sustainable development and innovation, to protect human rights and fundamental freedoms, and to foster public trust and confidence in AI systems to fully realize their potential. Uh, that gives a good idea of the general type of inclusive, everyone can agree on this, diplomatic language that was used throughout the summit and basically all fronts. Uh, you can notice that it did not centralize uh, any central risks or those those bigger goals, but there are definitely uh, signs. So, yeah, for example, particular safety risks arise at the frontier of AI understood as those being highly capable. So understood as being those highly capable general purpose AI models, including foundation models that could perform a wide variety of tasks. Uh, substantial risks may arise from potential human intentional misuse or unintended issues of control relating to alignment with human intent. Uh, given the rapid and uncertain rate of change in AI and the context and acceleration of investment in technology, we affirm that deepening our understanding and special risks and actions to address them is especially urgent. And uh, it ends with, in recognition of the transformative potential, positive potential of AI and as part of ensuring wider international cooperation on AI, we resolved to state an inclusive global dialogue that engages existing international fora and other relevant initiatives and contributes in an open manner to broader international discussions and to continue research on frontier AI safety to ensure that the benefits of technology can be harnessed responsibly for the good and for all. We look forward to meeting again in 2024. So, you know, it's a lot of generic talk, right? They are not concrete actions that this promises to take other than concrete actions to engage in more talk, which, and I understand it, is how diplomacy always works at the first meeting. Uh, there was never going to be anything else. My two cents. Um, I think it is just, like, remarkable that this is a thing that even happened. Um, you know, two, three years ago, like, the idea of, like, AI safety as a problem was, like, a niche thing on message boards. And the fact that, like, However, this or that way, um, the entire world got sort of convinced, um, you know, the entire sort of like respectable political leadership of um, the planet um, got convinced that this was something that is going to require uh, sort of sustained government attention is remarkable. And, you know, there's a, there's a number of causes for that, which I think are sort of interrelated. First, most obviously, there's like ChatGPT, the broader increase in capabilities and like, you know, global recognition that this is stuff that is like potential to be, you know, ep epoch changing. Um, and then, you know, Greg Allen and on the Stratechery podcast recently pointed out the sort of like resonance that the the letter from last year saying, um, you know, this is something that should be as scary to policymakers or they should take us seriously to policymakers as a nuclear bomb. I think like woke a lot of you know normies up to the um, 
you know, potential impact of this stuff. Um, and, you know, I think we got a little bit of opportunism from the prime minister of trying to like find his uh, voice on the, on the, on the global stage. And, you know, this is like something where you can um, be entrepreneurial. Um, my sort of two cents on the declaration is that like, this is the easy part. Um, and it's sort of like recognizing that like, like this is an issue and people should focus on it is very different from doing anything that would sort of like meaningfully direct or constrain or channel uh, the development of national, um, you know, either like national champion firms or just like national capabilities more um, uh, around artificial intelligence more broadly. And um, my guess is that, you know, it's, it's like as hard as it is to like put something on the international agenda, like getting, you know, Saudi Arabia and the U.S. and Europe and the U and like the U.K. to agree on something that would like affect their interests um, in the name of this like rather abstract um, uh, concern around AI safety, particularly before you have anything sort of like catastrophic happen with these models is going to be um, a very sort of like low probability play. Um, but not necessarily one I am like against um, on uh, on on principle. Um, Zvi, thoughts on uh, thoughts on sort of like the the sort of like direction of 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 travel um, that you've seen sort of watching this space over the last few years. Looking back at the discourse and movement towards taking serious steps towards AI safety at every level, you know, has continuously surprised on the upside. For the past six months, every, ever since GPT-4, certainly, we have seen remarkably rapid progress towards taking this problem seriously, towards converging towards practical solutions, towards getting international cooperation, towards, you know, accommodation of good talk and tangible action. Uh, this is a 90, you know, 90 something percentile result from my perspective. I think everyone who has an understanding of these concerns the way that you know, I and Nate do, uh, even if they think the solutions are somewhat different, uh, agrees that things have been remarkable. Uh, the existence of a summit is remarkable. The existence of an executive order is remarkable. The existence of a reporting threshold of compute in an executive order is especially remarkable. Um, and that, you know, we've recalibrated so quickly. Like, we have to recalibrate every week, every day, what to expect because AI is moving so quickly and the world is changing so quickly. I would have been thrilled not to just get when I get, when I open up the New York Times sometimes and I see editorials saying, you know, the true danger of AGI is neoliberalism or we must not let these things distract us from, you know, the possibility that someone might say a bad word. So yeah, this is amazing progress. I want to talk a little bit about sort of China's role in this. Um, you know, there was a big debate in the in the UK and like Western press more broadly around whether China should be like invited at all to this thing. Um, and uh, sort of the week before you had a, a, a CAC document lay out like China's vision of uh, global AI governance, which like I found pretty generic, but also is like, you know, not that far off from like something that like Zvi would have ghostwritten. Um, uh, you're going to start seeing this dynamic of uh, Beijing trying to sort of like wave the flag for like the sort of developing world or, or global south or, or, or what have you as like kind of defending their rights. And I think that's something that once you move like slightly 
down from just uh, uh, the most platitude of platitudes saying like AI is important and like we should focus on it um, and into sort of more brass tacks issues around disclosure and, and, and restraints that I think a lot more um, uh, uh, conflict is potentially going to emerge. But like I uh, a year ago would have thought that China just would not care <laughs> about uh, about this. But clearly um, either like someone does or they see this as a sort of emerging, uh, you know, landscape of global um, uh, you know, a, a new place to sort of like, you know, strive for, for, for global leadership or, or, or make an, uh, make an impact in a way that, uh, I think, uh, uh, the prime minister, uh, Sunak also did, uh, a year and a half ago when he sort of like launched into this, um, uh, um, you know, got start, started playing in this game as well. So, um, any other, uh, thoughts or things we should focus on V around the, the sort of international dynamic you saw, we saw in London? I mean, I think that, China is the most important person, most important country, right, at this talk, right? If China wasn't there, none of it means anything from my perspective, right? I mean, also, if the U.S. wasn't there, it wouldn't mean anything. But, like, if China's not, if China's not there, then we can't agree on anything because we can't count on China to play along in the future when it's necessary to take the, to take the precautions, and if, if someone as big as powerful as China decides to just ignore the precautions and full steam ahead, then everyone else doesn't have a choice. Um, stay tuned to China Talk. You're um, uh, sort of leading outlet for coverage of China's AI <laughs> governance uh, uh, thought process. We've written a fair amount of, uh, amount about it on the newsletter at chinatalk.media. Um, changing gears a little bit, Nathan, on Monday, November 7th, we had... Oh, the first ever open AI dev day. First off, what is a dev day? Well, it's basically a hype event. You know, it's kind of bringing people together, setting expectations that there's going to be cool stuff and, uh, you know, generating a lot of buzz around it and then showing people what you've got. So, you know, this is and it's kind of it's the sort of thing that platforms do. You know, I think this really this event, um, you know, had a number of big themes to it. A number, you know, a bunch of different things launching from OpenAI. But I think one way to interpret it is it's kind of their coming out party as a platform. They have been a leading model developer, obviously, for a while. And they've, you know, obviously commercialized that to great success over the, especially the last year uh, with their ChatGPT product and the API as well. But this is kind of saying, all right, we're going to be a really kind of pretty quickly expanding platform that does all the core things that you need, moves more of the stuff that developers have had to do previously, move more of the kind of blocking and tackling work inside the platform, which in some ways makes it even more of a black box, but also a lot easier. Um, and so, you know, just more foundation has been laid by them for folks to build on top of. And I think indeed we will see a lot more building on the OpenAI platform. It, with this transition to a platform too. So Nathan, so what was announced? So a bunch of stuff was announced. I mean, th there's kind of four big themes that I would group things into. One is multimodality. So definitely just a huge emphasis on, you know, you used to have an API that is all about text. Now you have APIs that can understand images. That's probably the biggest release in my mind. That's been hotly anticipated and it's very good. Uh, GPT-4 Vision's ability to understand images is 
really kind of clearly leading in today's world. A uh, bunch of price drops across the board as well. Speed ups, increases in token length. Definitely kind of a, you know, a pretty direct answer, I would say, to the competitive in terms of competitive positioning vis-a-vis Anthropic, which has the Claude model that had been winning in some areas over the last six months because it had the longer context window and a lower price. The new GPT-4 has an even longer context window and a slightly lower price. So those two, you know, things have kind of been neutralized. It'll be very interesting to see what Anthropic does, you know, coming back. As I understand the strategy there, it's not to be first to market with leading capabilities, but to be kind of a fast follow and to have an answer kind of ready to go when, you know, somebody else launches something. So we'll see, you know, what's in the the cupboard there. Um, then, you know, again, platform expansion. My, my third theme is the, the two biggest app development trends of the year in AI have been what is known as retrieval augmented generation. That is to say, giving the AI access to a database and allowing it to pull information out of the database and use that at runtime. That's a way to improve hallucinations and accuracy and factuality. And now that's all built into the platform and you can kind of ex- access that all through a, a simple API. They've also brought runtimes into the API. So this is what's known as code interpreter in ChatGPT, where it can actually write and execute code all on their side. And now this is again, part of the API. So the API has just taken a you know huge step forward in terms of modalities and in terms of the different things that it can do. And then they package all this up into their first move toward agents, which has been the other big development trend this year. And I think they've taken an interesting line there where they've, they've not gone all the way to agents. They're not making these things as autonomous as they probably could. Uh, but they are setting them up and calling them either GPTs in the context of ChatGPT, or it's basically the same thing, but calling it assistance via the API. And so I think what they're kind of going for big picture is like ChatGPT in their minds is going to be your home and your hub for most of your daily ad hoc work. If you used to open up Gmail and process stuff in there or, you know, sit in Slack and go through messages or just open a Google Doc and start writing for yourself, then the hope I think for them is that you'll do all that now in ChatGPT and you'll be able to connect to all those systems. But on the flip side, if you're an application developer, you know, the plugin thing hasn't quite worked and there's a lot of like UIs, you know, and and more involved experiences that don't make sense in a ChatGPT. So the assistant paradigm is to allow you to bring that assistant to your application. So if you are Salesforce or Adobe and you have this like super gnarly, you know, extremely feature rich, you know, potentially bloated, you might say, you know, convoluted experience. Now you can layer on a natural language assistant on top of that and just talk to it and have it take the actions in your application uh, through the function calling that they've also that's not new, but it's, you know, according to their description greatly improved. So it's a ton of stuff. I mean, it's a, it's a full day just to like read all the documentation of everything that they've launched. Awesome. All right. So let's, let's take those one by one. So, so multimodality and image recognition. Um, my sort of like toy thing was I took a photo of my living room and I was like, what can I do to make this nicer? And it said, you know, move this here and like try a new color of, uh, plate. And whatever. And you can apply that to um, many more interesting things than interior design. Uh, you know, anything from, you know, uh, uh, sort of like diagnose, uh, you know, diagnosis or looking at x-rays or, or what have you. Um, 
the the other one which I thought was really interesting, uh, uh, the the sort of uh, uh, API uh, access and the multimodality within that. Uh, Nathan, why don't you give the one on one on one hundred one on what an API is and why it's so important? I think most listeners of this podcast maybe have only interacted with ChatGPT as like a thing you um, you talk to, but what does um, what does what does having API access to that sort of uh, multimodality allow uh, allow companies to do? Well, it basically allows you to plug in the AI anywhere that you want to plug it in. So API stands for Application Programming Interface. It is an interface to the AI. And what's so unique about the new LLM APIs in particular is that they can basically accept any input. A traditional API, you know, would have a lot of documentation around these are exactly the kinds of inputs that we can accept and the formats that they have to be in. And if you don't, you know, follow those things and you get an error back, and, you know, it's all kind of typically a very narrow task. Like you have these inputs, you get exactly these outputs, and it's all very kind of discrete and chunked. Um, but in contrast, the the fully open natural language LLM APIs basically just say, send us any text you want, and we will give you some text back. And that will be following your instructions or, you know, completing a pattern that you've set up in the case of, you know, a few shot example. They're starting to complicate that now more too, because... Increasingly, you have kind of a chat paradigm that you follow in the APIs. And now with these new functionalities, you can also provide files that it's supposed to search over. Um, you can provide functions that are part of your application that the AI can choose to call. So, you know, for example, I, I developed this application called Waymark, which is video creation. And we have like all these tools on the, you know, on the sidebar that allow people to do edits. And they can go click those things. And when they click certain buttons, certain functions are executed and those have certain effects. We now have the opportunity to declare all those functions as part of our um, messages into the API and say, okay, AI, here are the functions that you may call in our application, depending on what the user asks you to do. So now if the user says to the assistant, hey, I want to change that blue color to green. You know, previously the user would have to go dig through the UI, find that place and make that change. Now we can declare, hey, you have a function that allows you to change color. And if and when the user asks for something like that, then you can tell us on the, you know, on the response, call this function with these arguments, you know, and it, it's smart enough to kind of bridge a lot of these things where, you know, a function may need a specific encoding for a color, but the AI can typically translate, you know, blue or green to that, that coding and kind of do that on the fly without you having to worry about it. So that's just more of the magic that kind of makes these things so delightful to use. The AP, the AI now can send back, Hey, this is the function that I deem appropriate to call based on the user's input. The application can execute that, give the results back to the AI. And you can kind of have this whole natural language interaction that goes deep into the application. So this is a paradigm change. Yeah. Nobody else has really done this at an API level and this you know this is i think going to be a significant unlock for all sorts of applications yeah because i think that the folks that you know if if you're only talking to chat gpt like it gets stuff wrong because it is like pulling from the entire universe of stuff but if if you can then tell uh you know your own little version of gpt of chat gpt like just focus on this thing like for instance this is a th something I, I built with you nathan a little while back is like i'm like a weird fiend for like quotation books um 
And so I uploaded uh, sort of like all of Shakespeare. And then I was like, like, give me a Shakespeare quote about like love in wintertime. And what it did was give you literal quotes from that pulling from the text, as opposed to if I just asked ChatGPT it, it like, you know, might make a few up because it wasn't sort of like referencing back to a database that I told it to focus on. And, you know, uh, like uh, having like a, a, a quotation book you can chat with is like not a billion dollar business, um, but you can imagine. Imagine putting it on sort of insurance records or, um, uh, you know, trading history or like a million other things. Anything that like is data that lives inside your company that people interact with on a daily basis, whether that's sort of sort of structured or unstructured knowledge is something that now is like really not that hard to um, to set up within your um, uh, within your institution, which is just kind of mind boggling the, the the potential like productivity gains and implications from that. Yeah, that our our experience of setting that thing up too is kind of a good indication of what this set of releases means for the broader industry and ecosystem because we used a company called Chatbase to do that, and you know they had they've been quite successful and built a, a pretty nice business in a pretty short period of time based on creating an easy setup where you can just come into their product, drop in some documents. They kind of handle you know a behind the scenes process of breaking that document up into a bunch of pieces and figuring out how to store it in the database so it is easily accessible. And then they provide also the chat interface and the behind the scenes plumbing to connect to all that. So that's chat base. And again, it's been quite successful and it is really nice and easy to use. The difference now though, is OpenAI has that functionality native. So, you know, for a lot of folks who have been building these kinds of things, it's like, Hmm, how am I now going to compete against, you know, the sort of center of gravity in the entire ecosystem that is pulling more and more of this stuff in? Do I like, does this just not work anymore as a business? Do I need to go like more niche? Do I need to have some, you know, do I try to like keep ahead of them in terms of features? All that is like a very tough position for a lot of developers, you know, many, many of whom are like kind of thinking, you know, what is my next move in response to this? And the chat pace founder, you know, said some very funny memes on Twitter where he's like trying to decide, you know, kind of thinking of this all through in public and is like, is this good for us? Is this bad for us? You know, I'm, I'm convincing myself it might be okay. Like I've got lots of new ideas. But how long are those going to last? <laughs> um, you know, it is and a striking thing was just how fast. And I talked to Logan yesterday, um, who's the developer relations lead at OpenAI for the Cognitive Revolution podcast. And it was striking. You know, they are moving extremely fast on product. He was like, you know, it's, it's everything is just an all out sprint here all the time. Um, that's not to say that they're not taking their time on some of the critical safety things, which you know, I think history has shown that they they are. But in terms of productizing and releasing you know, they are sprinting alongside everyone else and, and kind of putting everybody else in a position where, you know, they have to kind of sprint too, because, you know, what was a basis for a business, you know, last week is very questionable, I would say, for many as a basis for a business now. Nate said it'll open up a wide variety of applications. I'm like curious what he has in mind, because I, I, I've been scratching my brain and like, it's, it's difficult to actually know, like, what are the impactful things that come from being able to have something like the kind of vision, the ability to like shift all the modes at once, like combine them, right? Like to me, it's like, tends to be very exciting, but also like, I keep coming back to, you know, what exactly are we going to do with this thing? And then like the GPTs seemed like the most interesting part of the whole structure, the agentizing, you know, the, the creating these new tools that were acting in different ways is both the most dangerous and the most, most promising thing. And like the idea of being able to treat, uh, you know, instead of right now, if I want to do something with, with, uh, 
ChatGPT, I think of it as a one-off. I think of it as I'm just going to like, well, I'll do whatever prompt engineering I can think of and try to do anything reasonable. But I basically just have my prompt, and my uh, my initial prompt, and I, I set it and I forget it. And I tune it a little bit from time to time. But in the future where we have these things, it's like, to what extent are we going to treat everything we do as code and opposed to do it, you know, suddenly where, okay, if I'm going to ask like two questions of this nature ever, certainly if I'm going to ever ask three, well, I'm going to create my little tool and I'm going to tell it exactly how I want it to respond when I ask it about this type of question, right? So I have, suddenly I have the one that tells me how to find restaurants the way I want to find restaurants, the one that tells me how I want to deal with it when I don't understand how certain types of code work. And I have this other thing for when I have scientific questions that I want to learn more about and so on and so on. And then, you know, is everything kind of customized? Does every teacher like create a GPT for their students every day to answer this today's lesson plan? And like, how does this change? And then there's another GPT for creating that daily GPT. And and how does this all play out? And like, you know, this question, I, 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 I've got these two stories in my head of both, oh, I was waiting for everything to change and everything didn't change. And I was like, everything changed anyway, just like not as dramatically as I thought. I don't know which story is right. Like there was, um, like uh, Paul Graham retweeted uh, someone who often hypes things as, as world changing, saying this was a thousand X improvement. And I'm curious how many X on improvement Nate would uh, put this out. Yeah, it's stopped short of a thousand. I think the biggest thing is likely to be that agents that are trying to do stuff on the internet will probably get a big boost. And the reason I believe that is there has been a ton of work that has gone into trying to figure out what's happening on a website. And in the absence of a vision capability, it's like parse the HTML, try to figure out what's there, you know, but a lot of that stuff is like super gnarly, bloated, huge amount of tokens, not semantic in its representation often, sometimes deliberately so. Like if you if you go look at the HTML on like a Facebook.com, like they've made it gnarly as hell on purpose, it seems to like prevent scraping and whatnot. So they're trying to kind of make it not obvious what's going on on their site. And Google's the same way, you know, it is impenetrable, you know, morass of, of HTML. And that's true to varying degrees across the web. But the, these things are all meant to be interpreted visually. And the vision is pretty good at it. I think we will see a step change where, you know, previously agents would like try to go through a simple wizard and like register for a webinar, for example, and get stuck because they just can't figure something out or whatever. And now I think you're going to see like, take a screenshot. Maybe put like a grid over the screenshot and ask the AI, like, what's going on here and what's the logical next action? And it'll probably be pretty easy for it in many cases to be like, well, it looks like you're trying to register for a webinar and you didn't check the box that requires uh, being checked. And so the next thing to do is click the box that's in cell C6 and then you should be able to proceed, you know, with a click on enter. And, you know, if it sends that kind of thing back to you know, the runtime, like, I think you'll get over a lot more of the humps that people used to find these agents kind of getting stuck on. So I may be over optimistic on that. I mean, we'll see over the next couple months as it rolls out into more general availability. You know, if I had to ballpark it, I'd say order of magnitude, fewer stupid places where agents get stuck as they try to do stuff online. And, you know, we may need another order of magnitude before you really have agents running around, you know, performing complex tasks. But I think, you know, at least for simple tasks, this is probably going to start to really work. So, Nathan, just to summarize, this sort of image recognition being able to sort of work uh, on a computer desktop is basically like having a human's eyes um, being able to sort of do that sort of like real time understanding and processing of like what the 
internet, which is, you know, made for human beings, uh, most of it at least, um, is uh, is trying to show you. And then with that information, you can then sort of plug it into all of the sort of regioning and logic capabilities. And if I tell um, a, an agent, which is like an autonomous, like little AI to like, go book me a flight to Tokyo or, or what have you, it it'll do a much better job than um, before this open AI dev day where sort of those capabilities were not as, as good technically or like split over different um, uh, models in a way that you couldn't sort of like sew it all together in a, in a, in a nice fluent way. The integration of the visual understanding with the broader reasoning capability and quote unquote world model of a GPT-4 is a big deal relative to having these things as kind of separate components. Previously, you would have like a vision understanding model that may have a little bit of world knowledge, but not a lot. And it could sort of say, you know, here's what's in this image. But now you have one system that can both understand the image and reason about it in a pretty meaningful way. So, you know, I did something, I took my kids to Salem, Massachusetts and did a, a version of the parking sign thing. And it was like a temporary parking sign and it said Salem PD at the bottom. And I just asked it like, what can you infer about what's going on here? And it was able to both read the sign, even though that was kind of gnarly unto itself, and bring in the historical knowledge that, well, it looks like you're in Salem and, you know, this temporary parking in October probably relates to tourists, you know, tourist activity in October because of the famous history of the place. And so this, you know, this kind of holistic reasoning with the sophistication of the vision understanding, I think it's just going to, you know, allow kind of that next step to be like accurately determined in just a huge range of different contexts. So I was wondering if you think that this is going to be a order of magnitude change in agents in particular, that being able to process the information on the screen of a computer and figure out what's going on, like as you browse the web or things like that is in fact, like the killer app of, you know, API vision, then I would think thinking back to the GPT-4 system part. Right. The idea of the arc evaluation to see if it could do various autonomous actions. Uh, do you think we would see a substantial improvement to its scores if we were to go back and test the new version again? And do you think that like it would approach the point where we might have said, oh, this has kind of failed the eval, right? In the sense of this is too dangerous to potentially release if we had seen that back then. I would maybe divide this into two kinds of failures that I think we see with agents a lot, where one is the low level stuff where it's like, I know GPT-4 is smart enough in some sense to like know what to do on a web form, but it's just like not getting that there's a checkbox there that needs to be checked. And like the plumbing between, you know, parsing the HTML and, and it is kind of breaking in some place. There's a lot of stuff that just falls over at that level. And I think that stuff is going to get smoothed over quite substantially. There's another kind of higher order stuff, a higher order question of like planning and strategy, you know, and is something going to be able to like break itself off of one server and get onto another server? And my guess is that that probably isn't going to be too much impacted by this because we're not seeing a like major change in the model's overall reasoning ability. Like, I don't think MMLU goes up that much. And so I don't think like the hardest tasks with the most, you know, detailed plans required probably move too much. I think we're going to see a lot of scaffolding now that's like, okay, I have a bunch of different agents. How do I scaffold them together where they, they each kind of specialize and maybe there's a planner and maybe there's a, 
you know, an executor and there's a web agent and how do those things kind of connect to and call each other and send messages back and forth. I think that's going to be the kind of next level of scaffolding that people are going to be racing to do and, and how, you know, how good is that going to get in the immediate term? My guess is like good enough to do common web tasks, but like probably not enough to do the sort of, you know, uh, you know, certainly I wouldn't expect it to like get its weights, you know, off of opening servers anytime, uh, in the next few months anyway. Um, so, you know, hopefully, hopefully they're kind of, you know, taking a, a nice incremental step that'll be, you know, great for mundane utility. Um, but you know, hopefully still well short of the like scariest arc email. Any, any sort of closing thoughts on what you, um, uh, how, how you hope Anthropic one-ups, uh, 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 open AI back when, when, with their competitive response, like, what do you think was missing from, um, from this dev day that's, you know, technically possible, uh, today potentially. This does feel like platform supernova as we've kind of seen it a few times in the past. Um, you know, I, I built some early applications on the Facebook platform, for example, and over time it just became clear that like they were not going to miss out on like multi-billion dollar businesses, you know, that stuff they were going to do. And, you know, the small stuff, then, you know, of course, there's going to be lots of little niches around the platform. I mean, obviously you could go lower prices. Um, you know, you could go even longer context. You know, even better performance is kind of the obvious one that people will be looking for with something like a Gemini. But I don't think Anthropic is going to, you know, if I understand their strategy correctly, I don't think they're going to want to come back with something that's like, you know, GPT 4.5, because that's just not the way that they're trying to do it. So if they're instead looking for kind of, you know, gaps or missing, you know, missing features, to my mind, there's not a lot, you know, that is yeah. like going to be super, uh, you know, super compelling in that space right now. It's not obvious yeah. to me. Yeah, it, it, it's not the way it's not the way you they, they want to do it until you start losing market share and your investors start asking you, all right, what's your plan? And yeah, the obvious thing is you just make a model that's smarter um, and you sort of let the world uh, play with it, which is probably that dynamic. Um, I think we're sort of inevitably going to be heading into for um, for good or for ill. Uh, Zvi, Nathan, uh, thank you so much for being a part of China Talk. Always right. a pleasure, Jordan. Debo despertar. Yo, pizza. Eleme. Mire mi tarifa, pasé de mil a cien mil. Aunque era lo mío, en base a cuánto sufrí. Todavía falta ver también descubrir. Escupo lo que antes no podía decir. Errores que logré corregir, perra, me hice sola bondito P. Antes de que me llame el Gonzara fan del B. Hoy me voy al sol, porque Dios me llamó desde el downtown. Debo despertar, porque no saca calor a mi alma. Pero me salvé en la neblina, lo ver el alba. Dice honor a la J mi nombre y mis valores me cure la espalda. Hoy me voy al sol, porque Dios me llamó desde el downtown. Debo despertar, porque no saca calor a mi alma. Estilos y conceptos, lo pasa plata y me pone contento. Espera aunque parezca más muerto. Llamó la muerte, pero hoy no contesto. Le doy gracias a quien me traicionó. Y me pide situaciones que espantan. Ahora el negro castinga te canta. Y tú eso es el camino me apicio. Los flow no 
no se desgastan. Entre caídas se astucian. Mis capita de industria. Y otras parecen de gangsta. Money maker, hit maker, punga. Estoy con mis reales ahora más que nunca. El tiempo tampoco responde un par de preguntas. Sigo con quién es las últimas, fumo en segunda. Hoy me voy al sol porque yo me llamo desde el downtown. Debo despertar porque no saca calor a mi alma. Pero me salvé en la nevina, lo que veré el alba. Dice honor a la J mi nombre y mis valores me cubren la espalda. Yo. No soy rico ni me siento por salir del barrio Me siento bien, mis dos abuelas siguen respirando De niño pensé que a los 16 iba a morirme Y con 16 creo que llego a los 20 millonarios O por lo menos pasa viendo por lo que pasé Ojalá pudiera mostrarle a mis ángeles lo que logré Por eso un comentario no me afecta, mi vida está perfecta Pero me pusieron de enemigos mis hermanos Cuando los que me robaron fueron ellos Pegué un tema todo global y todavía no veo un peso Y como lloró mamá angustiada por no haberse recatado De puñal que me clavaron en mis ojos Ahora, por si cosas me miran de reojo Porque lo logrante de poder terminar el colegio Sin tomar ni doparme, pagar ni plagiar o Hoy me voy al sol porque Dios me llamó desde el downtown. Debo despertar porque no saca calor a mi alma. Pero me salvé en la neblina, lo creveré el alba. Dice honor a la J mi nombre y mis valores me cubren la espalda. Hoy me voy al sol porque Dios me llamó desde el downtown. Debo despertar porque no saca calor a mi alma. Pero me salvé